I'm Carlo, Carlo Pietro Sanfilippo, and this is my podcast. With this project, I want to explore the means, methods, tools, and examples of living on purpose, living the life we want, doing the things that light us up, things that make us feel like we're alive, growing, making a difference, and enjoying the process along the way. Welcome to It's the Journey. The privilege of a lifetime is to become who you truly are. And that was Carl Jung. So at the recommendation of one of my, one of my remote teachers and someone that I've read, read a lot about, is, uh, I read a lot of his works, is Ken Wilber. Uh, the combination of therapy and meditation, I'd say, has done more to help me on that path of becoming who I am than anything else I've done in my life. And today, we want to dive into the first part of that, the therapy part of it, with Janelle, a licensed professional counselor. Um, So part of my ongoing journey and growth has involved therapy as a means of expanding my self-awareness and self-knowledge. And in my book, Afterlife, um, I shared shared a few examples of that process that during which I made some really profound discoveries that helped me on my process. And it's something I really wish I would have discovered decades ago, but I didn't have any exposure to it growing up. I had no awareness of what it was. I didn't know how to access it. I had no idea even where to begin. And even as I got older and I learned a little bit about it, I viewed it as like almost a weakness, like I was giving up. And I just had to like try harder and I had to, I read self-help books about fake it till you make it and just, you just need, you just need enough positive affirmations. And I'd write down positive affirmations. I had notebooks full of them of like, I am good enough and I am this and I am that. And, and it allowed me to like, just keep really muscling through pain. And it really took in my book, I talk about the, you know, some things that happened that like, really kind of broke that down. And I, and I finally just gave up and went and got some help. And I really learned that it wasn't weakness, that it really took a lot of courage and strength to face my shadows and to really look deeply in a mirror that the, the people who were helping me held up. And then eventually learning to hold that mirror up for myself and see things more quickly on my own and then with help as I, as I go through life. So with that as an overview, let's meet Janelle and dive into some of my questions that I hope are helpful for you. So Janelle, welcome to It's the Journey. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for thinking of me. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is something I envisioned... <clears throat> When I started this, is like, so I want to have, I'm having guests on and we're talking about different people that are doing different things and give, I'm trying to give in people uh, examples of how to live on purpose and how to live the life they want. But I think sometimes before, for me, for sure, before I was even able to do that, I had to break past some, some things that were holding me back that <clears throat> structures and internal dialogues and 
belief systems that were put in my brain, you know, young Carlo's brain all growing through life from, from parents and teachers and society that I just, even after they weren't in my life anymore, I just kept carrying along with me and holding myself back like the proverbial prisoner with the door open, right? Yeah. And over the years, people have asked me if, if they've seen me doing different things and trying different things, so they want to do that. And, or I see people in pain or struggling and I've, I've you know, mentioned this, that therapy is something I did that really helped me. And I've been honest with it because so many people, so many people are ashamed of it. And even if they are doing it, they won't talk about it. And they're, 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 they keep it this kind of secret thing maybe. Um, and I've been open about it with, with friends and family and my kids. So like, man, this is, this is really something that can help you. It doesn't have to do. It doesn't have to be just in a crisis. So, right. So, let, I want to. I've talked enough. I wanna, <laughs> let's talk about. Let's tell me. Tell me, like, you know, what you do and how you do it, and then mm-hmm. we'll kind of dive into like, dive into some of these different fun things. Yeah, that's interesting that you are asking what I do because I am tra- in the process of transitioning in my journey right now. Um, I have done. A myriad of things over the years. So uh, when I graduated from my um, counseling program, uh, the work I was able to find was crisis counseling. And I did that for nearly three years. And um, I did a private practice, uh-huh. like kind of maybe halfway into it. Um, and the private practice was really focused on um, becoming embodied and using kind of uh, sensory um, mechanisms to kind of help guide the process of healing from trauma. And then um, I kind of had to suddenly quit my crisis job um, because of burnout. And I got into um, counseling children um, a lot more than I had been. And I did community-based counseling, which transitioned into school counseling. Okay. And so I've been doing school counseling for the past year. Um, and honestly, like, I think with every therapist, they find like what is a fit for them and what isn't a fit for them. School counseling focuses on social skills and emotional regulation, and it's very on the surface. And I'm, I like to dive in deep. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was just not a fit for me. Although I loved to be there for the kids, like when they, in their needs. Um, so now I'm going to counsel children, adolescents, and adults at a group practice. And I'm really excited about that. Um, I've been learning. I'm a student in um, a drama therapy alternative track uh, with the North American um, Drama Therapy Association. So I've been taking um, classes with them, and I'm about to uh, start my internship um, under supervision so I can bring uh, trauma therapy methods um, into my practice. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Perfect. So we know each other through our mutual friend Alex. Yes. And uh, the, first of all, I gotta say the Ringhausens are like uh, this is a beautiful family. Yes. And Grandpa yes. Joe is like I know Grandpa Joe's from his cider at the Tower Grove Market, and <laughs> I love him. He's I don't really know. He reminds me of my grandfather, like yes. his voice and way of speaking and everything. Anyway, so that's a sidebar. Um, great. So you've had lots of different 
pieces, lots of different experiences already in therapy, right. which is which is cool because and then you know, so real quick, a, 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 my my school therapy, my school counselor experience in high school was trying to figure out what I wanted to do and mm-hmm. who I wanted to be, and you know they had me take a test and I got like 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 a hundred pages of all the jobs I could do, which <laughs> were just all the jobs. Like 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 there was everything from none to CIA person, you know. And I'm like, these are just the jobs. Like I knew, I knew that was anyway. And then the other, so then they gave me like an army brochure and 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 asked me to leave. <laughs> like so, that was my my first like reach out to like for help. <laughs> like what do I want to be? Like you could be all these things or go in the army, which is there's nothing wrong with being in the army, but like that that, that wasn't the question I was asking. <laughs> You have to start somewhere. Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I took that same test, and it told me I should be a secret agent, which is funny <laughs> because I feel like being a counselor and a therapist is somewhat like being a secret agent. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of have to kind of probe into the inner ah, workings of people's lives. There you go. You're like Tom Cruise, like when he was hanging above the the, the, the laser lights in someone's brain. Yeah. There you go. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so that's therapy, everyone. Uh, exactly. <laughs> this was shorter than I thought it would be. Uh, so cool. Um, so, uh, oh my goodness. But I mean, right now, being, and I know that's not what you're doing anymore, but like uh, school counselors, are, that is needed so yes. badly with, with what kids are going through. Yes. Even kids that are... Uh, whether they're going to school at home or not going to, or going to school, and then they have the anxiety of like, I don't want to get sick, or I don't want to catch this and give it to my mom or my grandma, mm-hmm. and then hearing about someone else's grandma getting sick and passing, whatever. All these, all these, they're constant. This, this constant anxiety of this, yes, this thing, you know, and yes. what to believe and what not to believe, and you know, they're watching the news and watching all the insanity that's in in the world, in in, in in people in general, not just kids. Like the last year or two you know everybody probably could use some help this last week i don't know <laughs> watching the news on thursday with like our capital being sieged yes. or however you want to describe it like i don't know i i had a hard time like it's focusing Collective trauma. <laughs> yes. And COVID and the sieging of the capital is like, that's all collective trauma mm-hmm. that we're all going through right now. And uh, the kids and the schools, they're going through that. And um, yeah, it's everybody is experiencing some level of trauma mm-hmm. with this. And it's important to process it. Well, and then my experience with trauma is that when I'm going through periods of stress or anxiety or there's something big happening in my life, the stuff that was below the surface that I was able to like muscle through, push Mm -hmm. through, ignore, repress, comes right up like a splinter. That's how it felt. In March and April and May, I felt like I I I, I kind of checked back in with my own therapist because I'm like I felt like these it really literally felt like splinters working themselves up to the system like yeah. oh wow I thought I had worked past this but now it's showing up here and um, I was able to check in and 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 work work through some things but I felt like you know and then and then people on t- there's some people that are you know 
have lost a lot of people, millions have lost their job and are worried about food and then they've mm-hmm. lost insurance and on and on and on. So um, let's talk about for people uh, people that maybe have never had any exposure to it or have a preconception of what it is when you're dealing with base level therapy, like what is it and how, how does it, what, what should, what should someone hope to get from it or mm-hmm. as they walk into this, this thing? Yeah. Um, I would say it's a safe space. Now, with the, uh, you know, knowing that safe spaces build up over time, so you will build up safety with your therapist over time. It doesn't just come right away, but it's a safe space for um, someone to travel along with you on your journey. Mm -hmm. Um, Because... A lot of people kind of think about therapy as a hierarchy and this person kind of fixing you and, you know, spraying some fairy dust on you. But it's really like a co-traveler and and someone to kind of, you know, facilitate you exploring these issues of like your heart and mind. And that's done through building up a safe relationship um, that we can bring out into our other relationships And it's done through processing things that we might be holding back from other people because of shame, because of feeling like we're too much or not enough. Um, And it's, you know, someone to provide the emotionally corrective relationship to say, like, you are enough and this is a valid concern and your feelings are completely valid. In fact, let's go into every feeling and learn how to experience our feelings while being able to, you know, have some of our own self-control, like being able to harness our feelings well. And so those are, you know, some kind of key parts into being in therapy. Okay. And, and you hit on a key thing that was like a preconception for me of like, you go. I, I went in... <laughs> My, my first my first session I was like you know I was in the middle of like a crisis like my stepdad had just died my mom had cancer and I was at the beginning of a divorce mm-hmm. right I, I was just like I I I knew I needed help yeah and so I kind of laid a bunch of stuff out there and the therapist was like okay I think you know let's, we can work together if you're comfortable I'd like to blah blah you know do you have any questions and I just with all seriousness said, how do we know when we're done? And she, <laughs> she had that reaction. She's, she was a little more kind. Like, like she wasn't like, she's like smiled as this uh, older lady. And she's like, it's a process. Yes. And I had no idea what that meant. I, I'm like, my profession when I'm not do, is doing this is financial planner. Like, you know, what are your objectives? Where are you? What steps do we need to take to have enough money to pay for your kid's school or to retire or to do you have the right amount of insurance or do you have a you have a like I'm looking for boxes professionally <laughs> I've been trained and help people check boxes <laughs> and I was wanting to like like my knee hurts I know like when I'm it's better I'm done like yeah. uh, that's, that's <laughs> so so I did, and it took me a couple of years into it before I was like oh that's what that means. <laughs> so it's I'm I'm glad you touched on that. So like cause yeah, so so you're looking for process you know, to help help understand emotions and help express it and validate 
your own thing and you talked about like are, so can we talk a little bit about shadows like the whole shadow concept yeah cuz my understanding of, i have my understanding like you tell me you tell me you know your professional like explanation of it and um cuz i think that t- to me has been a profound part of my growth is like having that term and knowing and knowing how to like look for them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, now to be quite honest, you know, I haven't, you know, I, I might have not delved quite uh, into Carl Jung as much as you have. Okay, okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah, and there's different aspects of therapy, right? right? Yes, yeah. yes. Um, but yeah, you know, when I think of, you know, shadows, you know, I think about tapping into those places into your lives where you're kind of hiding. Yes. Um, and because you think if anybody finds us out about me, if I'm found out, no one will want me. And so it's tapping into um, those parts and accepting them, accepting your shadow self, it, because that became part of who you were um, in order to... Uh, survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that's yeah. That that that's yeah, that was my understanding. And the way it was explained to me is like you know, therapy and shadow work is shining light into the recesses of yourself. Yes. And like seeing those dark. Sometimes they're dark places, and sometimes they're like beautiful things about ourselves that we won't. They're afraid to recognize. Right. The whole idea of like attraction shadows of like falling in love or in, or idealizing other people that really have aspects of us that we won't recognize. Yes. And then thinking our life's empty because they're not in our life when it's really something about ourselves we won't acknowledge. And that that to me was profound. Yes, yes. And I think that that is a big part of the work of therapy is to, to have those parts of yourself come out into the surface and for you to welcome them in, like invite them in and totally accept them. And I think when I started therapy myself, I think the biggest problem I had was accepting myself um, and accepting those like dark parts of my heart. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that, um, especially with a lot of the ideology I grew up with, it was like, you have to be a good girl. Um, and so my trying to be a good girl on the outside really prevented me from really tapping in and seeing how I could become a more integrative me, a more whole human being. And I think when you accept every part of you, that is how you can bring the light into the darkness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, well, and for me, it has also it has meant like it, once I as I learned to accept me and really really love me that's something I couldn't have said years ago like that felt I was raised Catholic and that was I was I felt almost like a sin like you're you're something you're you're, you're selfish or you're narcissistic or I mean that's not a religious term but that's that's how it felt to me you know and and until I learned to respect what I wanted I kept trying to just do what everybody else what I thought everybody else wanted me to do, what kind of house I should have and what kind of 
car I should have or what kind of things I should aspire to have and mm-hmm. then and then getting making bad as a financial planner making poor financial decisions with debt and money to try to build this life that I thought I was supposed to be living for to be a good father and to be a good husband and to be successful and none of it was fulfilling because I wasn't living my true life and ultimately what I learned is when 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 we're trying to do something that's someone else's blueprint, then we're lying to ourselves and then those lies spill out to everyone in our life. Yes. Our, our spouse, our friends, our family. And, and then what I, what, the more I started to kind of see and be able to speak my own truth, then the more I realized like how many, how many people are kind of living that. And it's not a lie like, I'm intentionally lying to you about whatever. Right. Uh, I didn't scratch your car or something like it's that. It's a mask. It's a mask that we've something we don't even sometimes know is there. Yeah. Or we or then you take it off and like you're when you're only by yourself, you know, yeah. and you put it back on and then um so um yeah, so that's 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 a lot, okay? And so you help and you help you help you help people with that. Yes. Um, one thing I want to make sure we hit on is like, I know, because I know some people, I, you know, young, young people in college, most schools offer some type of free actual therapy, not, not like school counseling, right? Yeah. Okay. A lot, of, a lot of young people aren't aware of that. Yeah. So I, I've been working at a, a therapeutic school. So my role there has actually been a school therapist. Okay. And then, but before that, I would go, I was community-based and I would go into schools and homes. And basically, I have realized that in the schools, a lot of the administration don't see the point of having a therapist in the building. Wow. Um, Because when I would try to connect with different schools to be allowed in, they would be like, why? You are disrupting this kid's educational time. And I'm like, well, this kid is, you know, not doing too well in these classes. And actually, therapy can help with that. It doesn't help directly, but it helps them establish a better sense of self so that they can, you know, improve other areas of their lives. Mm -hmm. And so, therapy in school is very important and more schools should have therapists and not just people telling you what your career goals are. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that and that's really interesting because like there's like so like even if a kid or someone wants it, there's so many parts of society that are telling you no you just need you just need to try harder. You need to just stop being bad. You need to mm-hmm. stop playing video games or you need to stop whatever whatever it is. Or, okay, so there's that part of it where there's people, everyone telling you you, all the things you should do versus get help. Mm -hmm. And then I talk about this in my book too, is sometimes people find healthy, acceptable diversions to manage stress that really just is a means of repression. Yes. And for me, it was yoga. 
Like I found yoga and I just became a disciple and I did it and I mm -hmm. pushed myself and I was doing it sometimes three, four, five, six days a week. Yeah. And when I did it, all that anxiety got burned out of me. Mm -hmm. And then there's, you know, 30, 60, 90 minutes of breathing helped relax me. Yeah. And I kind of went this camp. I, I wrote a book called Blank is Not Your Therapy. Because people say yoga is my therapy, running my therapy, shopping is mm -hmm. my therapy. Yeah. Or, uh, and those are all things that are healthy and the society kind of celebrates these, these people that, are, like me, I was obsessive about it as a means of repression. Yes. And I was celebrating like, oh, wow, look at you. You know, you're so great. And I, I, felt, I felt great and it helped me. I'd walk out of that room feeling relaxed and calm, and it, but it was like a drug. Mm -hmm. If if uh, if I didn't have it, the the anxiety and tension and stress started building back up again. Right. So there's like there's part of society that's saying, just try harder, try harder, try harder, and ignore and just be a good kid and do your homework. And then there's other people that have found sometimes healthy, acceptable means of dealing with it through a lot of times sports or something, mm -hmm. or sometimes. You know, alcohol, people joke about it, and but you see how many people that use alcohol as yes. a means of self-medicating yes. because that's that that you know, they're it's acceptable to 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 be a a wine and craft beer enthusiast, but really you're using that to like some people are using that to avoid yes looking at ugly things. So yeah, it's, it's interesting you're hearing that. That's that, that that's in the schools. I mean, that's been my experience too. Is like yeah. you know, society's kind of telling you to. Yeah, and I've definitely have felt prey to that over the years, even as a therapist, just like if you just try harder, if you accomplish all of these things, if you achieve all these certifications, it will make you better. Um, I know that with me and yoga, like yoga has been so helpful in me in having um, kind of emotional regulation training and yeah. frustration tolerance. But I wanted, I had this goal to integrate yoga into my therapy practice, which is still something I really think about. But at the time, I put so much pressure on myself to have yoga and therapy all together that it squashed my own sense of self-growth. Um, and when people think of self-growth, they think about it as something that is like goes up, you know, something that can be measured. Yeah. And it's not. It's like more of a wave and it's more it's more circular and it it contrasts everything that we've been taught in Western society. And so I definitely think you make a good point. Like there's all these skills that we can have to make ourselves fuller human beings. But it's if it's keeping you from being awake to your own inner person, then it it's going to you know be to your um, disadvantage ultimately. Mm -hmm. Well, what what I learned, you know, I hurt my knee uh, again. This something I something I talk about a story I talked about in my book. I, I hurt my knee and I couldn't do yoga. And I had to get surgery, and it was like it took a month to get in and get surgery, and then you know I don't know however many weeks of rehab and all this kind of stuff, and. I felt like uh, I've never I've never been addicted to drugs, but that felt that to me gave me empathy for like what it must feel like to have a drug taken away. Mm -hmm. All the all the anxiety and all the stress came rushing because I couldn't I didn't have I lost my way of burning through it. Mm 
Yeah. I lost my distraction. It was a healthy distraction. It was celebrated. It wasn't like I uh, quit binge drinking. Yes. Where people are like, oh, shame on you. It's like, oh, look, look, you know, you're a distance runner or you're a triathlete or whatever. And there's a lot of people that, that are. I'm not. I'm not saying that all those things are amazing and great and healthy. And and there are a lot of things in life that are therapeutic, but not therapy. Yes, like improv. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I I know I've I've had some some of my friends that say improv is my therapy or improv is mm-hmm. my religion, mm-hmm. and it is good and healthy and a means of growth but it is not a is not a process for self discovery yeah or all the things you explained about like understanding your emotions paired together paired together it's perfect yes and that's why i am pursuing drama therapy because drama can be a release for our trauma i should repeat that because i'm not very good at enunciating my words. <laughs> drama is a release for your trauma. Perfect. <laughs> but uh, say it six times now. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, because I I started improv um, a couple of years ago, and it partnered with me being in therapy and kind of bringing my revelations from improv into therapy. And this wasn't a drama therapist, but just somebody who kind of helped facilitate that journey. Mm-hmm. It really just helped me integrate so much more because uh, before improv, I was very scripted. Mm-hmm. You know, everything needs a script. Um, I could have maybe gone into this interview today writing down every single thing I think about in an essay. And yeah. that's how I was <laughs> before. Yeah. Um, and improv really helped me to release that. And it really came into my therapeutic process. But, you know, my, you know, improv teacher, Katie Nunn or Melanie Penn, they were not my therapist. Right, right. Um, and so that's very a big dis- distinction. That and I, it's interesting too because yeah, I started improv in the middle of all this, and I was in therapy. And 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 one thing I learned about it helped me. It helped me learn to speak my truth more. Yes, because the whole, you know, um, there's a Del Close that says, "Where your character is like a thin veil," mm. so. The more the more you can speak truth to speak tr- speak a truthful response to what's said to you mm. versus trying to find that clever intelligent thing right like how would how would a character really act, react if this and some people can't do that or Andy Andy Slowey, uh, amazing teacher amazing improv um, performer mm-hmm. have you done his have you done his uh, workshop where he does like mad glad yes. Sad, glad, mad, afraid. Yes. <laughs> Versus afraid. Um, he would have you do this, you know, just I'll explain really quickly. You do this uh, exercise where you pick an emotion and you stick with that. And it's one of the, just those four. Mad, glad, sad, or afraid. Versus the nuanced things like jealous or <laughs> envious. So just those four things, very distinct. You pick that emotion and you stick with it through your scene so you know your character's point of view. I saw that I had a resistance to playing mad. Mm. I, I, 
it made me uncomfortable. If I started off and I played mad and if the other person acted afraid or sad, I kept changing my point of view because I wanted to fix it. Yes. Even though it was, my, my, I'm playing with Scotty, who played with these people for five years and they're yeah. like, it's okay, Carlo. And I'm like, I, I felt, we had to talk, we talked about it. Like I felt it made me uncomfortable. I didn't want to be mad at someone. I didn't, and it was from experiences as a kid of getting yelled at and, and whatever, all the, yeah. I didn't, I didn't like how, that made me feel, and I was still carrying that with me. Which, mm-hmm. as a human being, <laughs> it was good in real life. But there, you know, the the improv showed this little shadow to me. Yes. That that I journaled about and looked at and tried to understand. Yes. Yeah. It it can be such a reflection on real life. And um, Irvin Yalom said that therapy is actually a dress rehearsal for life. So I I think about that in connection to improv and yeah. like that that's big because improv is like this um mimesis of life and you know if we're good improvisers we're really kind of seeking into that truth that you mentioned and mm-hmm. not just trying to be funny or or trying to rise up in the <laughs> improv elite <laughs> yeah and, and and you see really some of the the best performers some of the some of the scenes can be really touching. You know, they're they're diving into some real human issues and real human experiences, uh, and it'll it'll dive into whatever you know. There's enough absurdity in life that you that you find that goofiness, and you just keep amplifying that. Yeah. Um, but if you can't, it 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 teaches you empathy, and it teaches you. Um, I guess at its best, you're trying to respond in the most honest, open way. And if you can't do it on stage, it's hard to do it off stage. Yes. But if you look, if it gives you a place to practice that, that's really cool. As a yes. therapist, you're seeing that too. Yeah. 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 Yes, and it's great with trauma therapy. Is like I can facilitate basically people in improv, and then we can process you know, what they're coming, what's coming up for them mm-hmm. in it. Um, and so that all is really excited to me and that we can do a lot of role-playing work. Um, and uh, there's just a lot, <laughs> there's a deep well there with yeah. drama therapy um, that really um, brings out like somebody embodying um, what it's like to be in a fuller person and express empathy and connect better in your interpersonal relationships. You know, I didn't think about this really till now. Like I realized um, after, after, I don't know, several weeks or months of doing improv and, and having fun with it and, and feeling totally free with people just to be fun, just to have fun and be silly and do my thing that you know, as I after my divorce, I started dating. I walked away from some relationships after a short time because I I wasn't I didn't feel safe speaking speaking my truth, or the person didn't like my sense of humor. Like they start trying to like edit me, mm-hmm. and I was like, I am not, I. I I love this feeling of being with this group of friends that I can be silly with and be goofy with and have fun and and we're practicing over and over and over again vulnerability and yes. and practicing speaking our truth and practicing 
driving scenes from real emotions, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be in a real relationship where I can't do the same thing. Right. Yes. Uh, That's so important. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned early on that Ken Wilber, have you, have you read any of his stuff? No, I haven't actually. I'm going to have to look him up. You absolutely should. His first, I think one of his, his first or second, his, I think it was his second book was called Integral Psychology, okay. where he looked at all the different fields of psychology. But he, that sounds familiar. Yeah, he's really a philosopher, mm-hmm. but he dives into like all kinds of different fields and you know, really science and religion and philosophy and I mean, just one of these. He says if he reads a book, he re- once he remembers it. Mm, so wow. it just and he reads a book a day or something silly like that. I'm just so jealous of those <laughs> I know. I, I, I wish, <laughs> but uh, he really highly recommends his, these different tools for growth, and he he recommends a combination of of uh, meditation and yoga, mm-hmm. not meditation. I'm sorry, meditation and therapy, mm-hmm. um, as two different means and types of growth. You know, one he calls waking up versus growing up, mm. and because you know there are someone could be. Um, consciously awake and reach these highest states of consciousness, but be operating at a stage of consciousness of where they're very sexist and misogynistic and and ethnocentric. Yes, uh, and they don't. So they're they haven't they haven't grown their their um they've grown they're they're they're, they're maybe consciously awake, but they haven't grown their sense of empathy and they haven't gone through different stages of development in terms of their their growth as a human. Yeah. Or vice versa, you know. And he looks at also lines of development. Like, you know, someone could be very, very intelligent, but very, very emotionally unaware or, mm-hmm. or very low levels of empathy. Um, and those are those are, those have been helpful for me in understanding, you know, we uses like Nazi scientists as an example. Yeah. Highest level of intelligence in their fields, but very low levels of empathy. Right. You know, because like we look at, what's going on in the world today, you see some very, very intelligent people saying some very mean, horrible things. Like, how can that be? How can someone, I used to say, how, how can someone so smart say something so stupid? Uh, but it wasn't stupid, it was empathy. Yes. Um, therapy and improv, now ther- <laughs> therapy and meditation, I, I've seen a connection with those w- with improv as well. And that when you're doing a scene, you know, two people are talking and you're aware that that person's not your coworker at Target, right? You're aware that someone you know in the audience laughed or sneezed or coughed. You're aware the lights are hot. You're aware that your scene mates on the side are making bird noises or whatever the heck they're doing, right? <laughs> but then you're, so you're, you're as a part of your consciousness that's aware of all these things. And then there's the other part of your consciousness that's wearing this mask of, I'm Joe's coworker at Target and we're <laughs> arguing about who's going to mop the floor or whatever, whatever dumb thing it is, right? Yeah, yeah. So you've got this higher aspect of yourself that's aware of all these things. And then the, the, the small eye that's in this scene and I once I really made that connection, I'm like, wow, that's in real life. You've got those moments as well, right? Yes, yes. Um, it's like the uh, base reality versus our, you know, kind of headspace. Like how how our thoughts can float up in the air 
our dreams, you know, kind of feeding into like what maybe our current issues are mm-hmm. versus, you know, like the simple base reality. I am with this person right now. We are in a relationship. We're watching a movie because we have nothing else to do during COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, or yeah, I'm doing this job or I'm whatever. Yeah, you know, I'm selling my life every week to to send that money off to the banks. What the hell? Like, yes. <laughs> right? Why? 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 Uh, okay. If if someone wanted to get started, like, what what is your experience? Like, what? How would you recommend someone finds a therapist? Finds the right therapist? That's a really good question. Um, I. <laughs> It's kind of funny because I'm thinking back on when I was trying to get started to find a therapist when I was living in Northern Virginia, where I'm from, (laughs) and I did not know anybody in the therapy community, and I was like going to, I didn't have insurance that covered mental health. And everybody charged like $100 an hour. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find a therapist. Yeah. Because it just wasn't accessible. Um, so I I recommend, you know, there's a lot of different things to, to do. Um, the web, it can be a huge tool for this. Um, I particularly really like uh, Psychology Today's um, web source because you can, you know, click on what insurance you need or if there's sliding scale, uh, like if you need sliding scale, if you don't have insurance. Can you explain sliding scale? Yes. So I'm lucky enough to have insurance and I'm lucky enough to have access to it. But I know, and I've heard the term over and over again, well, there's therapists that work with people on a sliding scale. Mm -hmm. How does that work and how does someone find that that person, that therapist? So sliding scale is based on your income, and uh, basically the therapist, depending on the rates that they charge, will slide down um, to, you know, kind of help meet your needs. And not all of the time does it actually meet your needs. Like, for example, someone wanted to charge me $40 a week when I was making $10 an hour, so I decided to go a different route. Yeah, yeah. Um, And sometimes when you're in that state, you know, you can go through um, graduate school counseling departments oh. because they oftentimes um, offer free counseling through their interns. And wow. if you see like a provisionally licensed therapist, someone who's under supervision of someone else, um, they're still getting that training and they're just fresher to the field and can provide new insight. They often can charge less. Um, so there's different ways to do that. And on psychology today, that is a really good source to find all of that, um, to find if they do sliding scales. Um, another thing is like calling community resources, like just even calling a crisis line in the area could give you different options about where to find more affordable therapy. Okay. Those are those are great because I I had no idea that and I've talked I've spoken with so many friends I know or I've seen friends that are struggling and they're like oh, I wish I could do that I can't afford it and I've only been able to say well I've I, 
I've heard of sliding scale. I didn't know about mm-hmm. the graduate school and the graduate students and psychology today. So those are amazing resources. Um, so I, I'll tell you the other one of the things I learned that's been helpful to me is just journaling. And it's another journaling thing I learned from Ken Wilber. And he recommended um, this process. Um, it's actually, and I've met met anyone in the improv community that knew this, but you know who Del Close is? Yes. Okay, so he did. He invented the invocation. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I, I don't know. I think he got it from therapy. <laughs> Big, of course. Right. And <laughs> and Ken Wilber talks about it as what he calls a three two one process, mm-hmm. where. You journal, and if there's something going on in your life that's stressing you out, or some an, an attraction shadow, like someone that you're obsessed with, or mm-hmm. something, or uh, an, a, an allergy shadow, someone or something you're really repelled by, or hurt by, or scared mm-hmm. of, he talks about doing essentially. If you're an in, improv person, the invocation without the thou, or if either way. You, you start talking about this thing in third person and you say, it is, he, she, it makes me feel until you've exhausted that. And that mm-hmm. could be a page and a half or, or more. Um, and then you talk to the person or thing. You are beautiful, amazing, uh, hurtful, deceitful, whatever it is. And then the really painful hard part is stepping into that person, place, or thing and speaking as it, even if it's a beautiful thing to say, I am whatever. Yeah. Sometimes that I've had really hard experiences with that, but boy, that's where the growth, that's where a lot of growth can come from. So I've, that to me, I've, I've done that off and on for a few years now and I've made some, um, I've, I've made a lot of growth in my own life because of that. That's as a, beautiful. Yeah. yeah, that's beautiful. And I like that it puts you in the perspective, like, of that shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, that, that helps build empathy and that helps work out, you know, what you are, the negative thoughts and feelings that you're having in that way. It really mm-hmm. helps uh, just draw it out and embody it more. So that's that's a wonderful exercise and I'm going to have to read more into Ken and Wilbur. Definitely. Oh, his his integral theory and integral life practices have been absolutely a, a major part of my growth the last yeah, decade. That's wonderful. Um but I I've when I when I read that I'm like that's that's the invocation. Mm-hmm. And it's done in a ton in, tongue in cheek and a fun and a silly way and mm-hmm. and whatever. But boy, if you did that, if you did, and and you can do that with dreams, you know, if, you know, like you, you have a dream and you have this really, um, this whatever it is, something that's very. There's a book called Knowing Your Shadow, and it mm-hmm. it gives that as an example. It talks about a a therapist that was working. The, the writer, the author, was working with these these either cancer women that had cancer or had survived cancer, I don't remember. But one of the women who was normally very cheerful and upbeat came in very upset one day because she had this dream about this bear that was chasing her and aggressive and scary. Mm-hmm. And they did they did a similar work exercise and she realized that the anger and, and 
ferocity of this bear was her own anger at why did I get cancer? I eat healthy and I do this mm-hmm. and I do that and all the things I do to take care of myself. Why me? And she hadn't allowed herself to be mad about possibly dying mm-hmm. and kept repressing it to be to fake it till you make it and be happy and cheerful and put on yeah. the, the happy face. And yeah, that helped her see that. It's amazing um, the power of imagery in dreams to kind of draw out our shadow selves and mm-hmm. to really become aware of what we're feeling that we are repressed. I know in my own process of therapy, um, it took me a long time to actually become angry at anyone yeah. who has caused me like any hurt because I was raised on this uh, principle of forgiveness. Forgiveness can be an amazing, beautiful thing, but a lot of people don't realize that forgiveness is a process and it involves letting the anger in. Mm-hmm. And it took me a long time um, to become angry at people. I was just too ready to forgive um, before I could even go through the process. Absolutely. Um, and then sometimes it's like we're, why we're told to forgive. Like, uh, one of the most powerful mantras I was given was I, I worked, one of my one of my guests. Uh, this episode hasn't aired yet, uh, but uh, Ellie Richter, she's a life coach, and I was dealing with some issues, and she told me to tell myself about this this person I was having troubles with. To to she goes whatever that arises, say I forgive you so that I can be free. Yes. Whew. Yes. That that felt like a magic incantation for me because I wasn't forgiving them for so that they were off the hook. I was forgiving them so I could let go. Right. Yes. I I think about it is like you forgive people so they no longer have power over you. Mm-hmm. They, they don't have a say on if you're good enough or if, you know, Often these people have done traumatic things to you, which takes away your power. And I think forgiveness is a way to gain your power back. And um, and it's not as simple as just like letting them off the hook because people need to be held accountable yeah. for their actions. Yeah, and then it's tough too. Don't let me forget, I want to come back to dreams. Mm-hmm. But on, for, on forgiveness... At one point, I had some people in my life that were really hurting me. And on the on the backside of it, when I was f- free from them, um, I could forgive them and I could see that they weren't hurting me because of me. Mm-hmm. They were hurting on the inside. They were yes. deeply hurt uh, people. And that was just the carnage and I was just in the way. Yes. But but it I I it was almost like I realized you can you can look on the other side of a fence and see an abused junkyard dog and feel sad for it. But if you're on the same side of the fence and it's biting your leg, you got to get free. You got you can right. you can be mad and you be angry and and do what you need to do to 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 get away from the pain that it's causing you. And it's okay to be angry or afraid or and get but and 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 not 
so I mean that 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 was it's it it kind of depends on your perspective when you're in the middle of it it's hard it's hard to feel grace and perspective while you're being bit. Right, right. I mean, that is a, a really amazing illustration of emotional boundaries. Yeah. Um, because um, boundaries allow us to get free of that pain. Like, uh-huh. you know, you're doing this to me. I'm going to get a distance here. <laughs> yeah. And then once you're, f- once you're free from that, if you can forgive and let go and maybe try to, help from a distance you know it's it it if you if you carry that pain with you af, long after the dog's gone then it's hurting you and it's not even around it's not even thinking about you or the person the person right. that hurt you whatever you know broke your heart they're off doing whatever if you carry that with you for the next 30 40 years you know it's a it's like a ghost you know yeah um so I want to talk about some, you know, dream and dream work. That was like dream work was like a really helpful thing for me. You know, my when I've uh, I've gone through different processes where I've kept a journal, and some people are like, oh, I can't remember my dreams. So it's like um, when I when I kept the journal by my bed, and there's those first moments where you wake up. If I just wrote down like pizza clown bubblegum or something like that, I'd write down just a few key words. Then later I'd look and the whole thing would come back to me. But if I didn't write it down, I wouldn't re- I, I might be like, I know I had this really scary dream about a clown or whatever. And I couldn't remember it, but just getting in that habit of just jotting down a few words. Um, and then later, um, I had examples where I'd have I'd, I'd see my therapist and I'd, I'd like I had these three really dream dreams and they had nothing in common and he would be like, "You see the pattern there?" Like, no. And he'd be like, well, "Each each one of those, you're not speaking your truth." Like, He's like, <laughs> you know, I was like, "What?" You know, they they felt so radically different to me. Um, but over time, um, I've been able to see some of that myself, and I kind of if I if I'm if I check back in and I'm like, yeah, hey, I saw that. He's like, yeah, that's right. Or what about what about this? Or, um, but with meditation, so with meditation and learning to kind of like step into that witness of our of our higher of our witness of our our, our highest what he, what what Wilbur calls your ultimate subjectivity, mm-hmm. where you are stepping into that part of yourself that's aware, um, the the part. Not, you know, so I'm aware that, you know, I'm aware of this coffee cup, so I'm not the coffee cup, right? That's obvious. And yeah. I'm aware of my boot and I'm aware of my shoes. But then with, the closer we get to ourselves, the harder it is to say what I am and what I'm aware of. Mm. Like, if am I this body? No, I'm aware of the body, so I'm not the body. I'm the thing that's aware of the body. And I'm aware, mm-hmm. I'm aware of maybe a, a little tension in my chest, so I'm not, I'm not that. So in the, the more we can step into that, the more I've practiced that, the more I can do that in my dreams where I'll start to dream and I don't, you know, so there's a moment where I'm maybe lucid dreaming and then there's a moment where there's an aspect of me that says, oh, you're dreaming, Carlo, and then I'm watching the whole dream and I'm watching the whole thing from, from above or the side and I can move perspectives and I don't interfere with the dream. I'm just watching it play out and then I remember them very, very clearly. And meditation has helped with that. And that's where mm-hmm. I think that's not the whole reason, but that's part of what Wilbur talks about is like, Meditation helps you to step into that higher aspect of ourselves. Um, yes. Which, if you're doing the therapy along with it, then you then you have then you 
you're the thing that's looking at everything and you can look at it from a different perspective. Yeah. I don't have extensive research into dream work, but things I'm curious about is, um, so vulnerably speaking, I have this world created in my dreams that I've had built in my dreams since I was a little kid. And it's a culmination of everywhere I've been and all these relationships I've had, like people from my past, uh, who like I might have played with with a little girl are still in my dreams. And so I always like connect that to like my inner life. And I, I think about like, what is this about? Um, like why why are they here right now? Yeah. And so that that's like a question that I ask. And I I think it's like maybe a thing where it reminds you of like different parts of your development and like different parts of like who you are mm-hmm. and like even just minor awkward moments that are like small t traumas in your life. Like it brings up the anxiety of that. Um, like for example, I have dreamed ever since I was in high school that I'm still in high school and I'm running late and I can't complete my homework. <laughs> <laughs> And just, uh, I've realized over the years that it's the um, anxiety that I've taken on of trying to complete too much at once. Yeah. Uh, But they're just still, you know, there. And it reminds you that I am not a complete person yet. I have all this work to be done. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I'm very, I've been thinking a lot a lot about that lately and need to kind of do some more reading into it. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Um, well, and then like you said, we're carrying all this stuff with us. You know, a lot of times people think of growth like like high school grades. Well, I'm a junior now or I'm, yeah. I'm woke now. <laughs> I'm enlightened. I used to think enlightenment was like this place and a box to check. Uh-huh. You know, just like therapy was a box to check. And it's all, first of all, it's all a continuum. So yeah. there is no done until we check out. Right. And as part of the continuum, one thing, one thing again, Wilbur talks about is this concept called holons, where like um, each, the whole world's made of holons, which are like whole things that are made of other parts. And we're right now a a sum of all of our growth that each level of our growth transcends but includes all the prior levels. So all that other stuff is still there. And whatever level of, you know, growth or achievement or enlightenment or whatever we've achieved, you know, you start taking away some of our, you know, the, the lower levels of Maslow's hierarchy, then the, those you're, you're altruistic. You watch you watch how people react in bad times and stressful times, mm-hmm. and you know uh, they're 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 people fighting over toilet paper. Yes. You know, nine months ago, right. and <laughs> punching people that ask them to wear a mask, and you know, mm-hmm. like these, you know, you get down to those base levels pretty quickly. Um, so, growth is a is a continuum, and. And like you said, like sometimes like our dreams will show us the things we haven't grown past or mm-hmm. the scars or splinters that are still there that that we aren't 
aware of or conscious of. Right. Yeah. Uh, so again, I'm a huge believer in this as a as therapy as a a means of growth and 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 self awareness. And it's I don't I um I've worked I worked actually with three different people for various reasons. Uh, and I, in my experience, like I learned something very different from each one of them because they were different human beings that had yes. different experiences as humans and as therapists. So, because like that's one thing I wanted your like some I've had some people say I tried it and it didn't work. <laughs> they won't go back, you know. Like so. Yeah. So I think part of that is that. When you're hitting into therapy for the first time, when you're delving into it, um, it's like it opens up a reservoir of grief. And so you're not actually feeling better from it quite often right away. You are processing these things for the first time and it feels overwhelming, especially if you've never processed it before. Mm -hmm. And so for a lot of people... They leave therapy too early uh, before they can really let all of that sink in. Mm-hmm. Um, also, a part of therapy working is finding a therapist who you connect with. Mm-hmm. Because therapy is a relationship and it's supposed to provide an emotionally corrective experience. So if you have a therapist who you always feel judged by or it reminds you of an oppressive person in your life, you're probably not going to get very far with them. Um, And then I also, as what I was alluding to earlier, people think that therapy is, you know, someone fixing you and and spraying the fairy dust on you. Just a little sprinkle here, (laughs) a little twinkle there, and you're done. And and it's just not that simple. Therapy is like an unspeakable process. And it's funny because we're talking about it in words, but it's just, it's unspeakable what happens in therapy. Yeah, and that's what I wanted to have this chance to talk about it with someone that's doing it because, like, it's and I've written about it, and I've only, but I only can write about it from my layman consumer experience. Mm-hmm. Um, something else I have taken out of it is that much like much like when I when I hurt my knee and I went to a physical therapist, and once I could walk across the room again, they were done with me. And I'm like, well, my, it doesn't feel, I'm not where I was, so it doesn't feel right. And they're like, it's good enough. And I finally had to go to like a um, a sports, like someone who helped professional athletes. And then they had me do totally different things to like get me to where my knees stopped bothering me. And of course, that's not always possible, but they looked at me and said, okay, no, no, you're fine. We just, we have the scar tissue and blah, 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 blah. Um, therapy is kind of the same. Sometimes I think people just go when they're in a crisis yes. so they can back, back, get back to their pre-crisis functional levels versus, and that is, of course, very, very important. Mm-hmm. Yes. But when I was past my crisis, I saw the benefit of going to grow beyond my pre-crisis levels. Right, right. Not not in a means of like growth of like, hey, I got an achievement, but like 
learning to know myself better and live a more live a life that was in alignment with what I wanted to do. Yes. Yes. I think that's just so important um, that you continue, even if a crisis brings you to therapy, that you continue with therapy after the crisis because there's just different parts of humanity that we're stunted on as a culture. That like we're obsessed with technology and we're we're not living out our full selves. And being in the process of therapy, especially if you're at a phase where you might have a little bit more fulfillment, you might be a little bit happier, that can actually spur you on to becoming a more full human being. Whereas like, if you're just trying to get past a crisis, you're just trying to get back to stasis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so for, some, for some, and there's a point in my life that's probably, I think, I think when I went the first day, that's all I wanted to do is get back to where I was. And then for whatever reason, I experienced enough growth and then things I was reading and things I was studying and things I was experiencing. I'm like, I kind of got a taste for what life could be. And I was determined to like try to find that. Yes. Um, And that's all I wanted to do today is like kind of just open up because for me it was a mystery it was scary it was something I was ashamed to do and um I I see people under normal normal times struggling and scared and worried and we're experiencing the you know we're experiencing one of those time periods that's going to have a name (laughs) <laughs> right? Yes. You know, the, the, yes. it's thus, and you know, many people didn't know they were living in the Renaissance or the right. Enlightenment or, you know, the, the Baroque period. Right. This will have a name, you know, between globalization and technology and, and population and environment and all the things that are, things that are happening with democracy in this country and the, all over the world and, and, and and it's impossible to not be affected by that. It is. Yeah. It is. Uh, no matter where you are in your life, no matter how privileged you are, no matter how many resources you have, it's going to impact you. Mm-hmm. All of this is going to impact your inner human. Um, and to get kind of back on the track of, you know not being distracted by all of this, but taking it all in as part of our new world here Mm -hmm. and uh, practicing um, in dialectical behavioral therapy, they call it radical acceptance. Um, So radical acceptance, it's not like, it's not something that you're necessarily condoning, but you're saying, okay, yes, this happened, this is real, this is part of my life, and I accept it. Mm -hmm. And this is, uh, I felt like with COVID, I was sort of denying it for a while. Like I was, it's not like I didn't wear my mask or anything, but I was kind of just like, okay, this is going to end, this is going to be fine. Yeah. And then just like accepting it as our reality today and something that will be a 
around for a while uh, helped me make huge progress and just, yeah. you know, growing. Yeah. And so, I mean, professionally, I'm a, I'm a financial planner. And so I'm not a therapist, but there's a lot of times where I feel like I'm trying to help people because people kept thinking, oh, certainly by July, this will be done. Right. Or when do you think it'll be done? Do you think we'll be done by September? Right. And, 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 and finally, I, just, I, I you know, in my brain, is like, what? I was like, I, why, would, why would I think that? Like, we don't have, at that point, we don't have a vaccine. We're not doing what we need to do as a country to stop this. So that so the acceptance for me was like okay this is what it is what can I control what's with that locus of control is that mm -hmm. the right term it's like what is it what is within my ability to I can control my actions to keep me yes. safe and to keep my kids safe and to set a good examples for them and and uh, uh, try to to take care of myself mentally and physically mm -hmm. and. Uh, part of the reason I'm doing this project is I was it gave me the free. I'm like I'm, I'm not driving to work and I'm not buying going to the grocery store, so now I have some time to do some other projects, and yes. that made me feel good. Versus like just consuming Facebook and all the you know the news that just tells you all the reasons to be sad, scared, and angry. Right. You know, and there are <laughs> there are a lot of legitimate reasons. There's a lot of triggers yeah. in the news every day. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but having things that you're doing that make you feel good and like mm -hmm. you're actually making a difference over the things you can, for me, has been profound. Yeah. And helpful. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, it's being in that survival mode in the hierarchy of needs versus, you know, finding some self-actualization. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, it, it's hard because some people really are limited um, in their resources to find any self-actualization mm -hmm. um, because their society always, capitalism always puts them into uh, <laughs> into survival mode. But, you know, I think that if you are able to achieve it, you know, using your purpose, finding meaning in your life and, you know, being part of the change that happens in this world so everybody can be able to reach that self-actualization. Maybe you can address this for for other people because I had I had my means and and path, but like one of the hardest things I think for some people is even if they want to have some growth or they actually have some growth, if everyone in their life is not there, then they're the oddball, mm -hmm. and maybe they're not accepted or they're even ridiculed. Uh, and then that's a very that's a very lonely, scary thing of kind of being you know we are we we're this tribal part of our brain doesn't want to be uh, ostracized, right? Uh, so like, well, this is what we do we we deal with it and we work hard or um, or if you actually start making some progress for me, you know, I, I was. There's a lot of things that happened that just kind of forced me out on my own. And then I learned and grew. And then I realized the learn the growth that I had helped me be a better dad mm -hmm. and helped me set a better example and helped me give tools to some people. And then I kind of built a new tribe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but when you're in the middle of it and you start seeking help 
you know, some the people you're with might tell you, just get your head out of your ass. Right. Just try harder. What's wrong with you? Right. You know, what do you have any like advice for that? Uh don't listen to them. Don't yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, to kind of go more into it, it's uh it's so hard for to not let those people in your life to not have power over you mm-hmm. because they are the people in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And choosing not to listen to them completely is a radical step um, towards differentiation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know, like, so I've been sharing a little bit of personal stories, but um, like I was bullied in middle school and maybe halfway through college, I was writing a short story about it. And I spoke to like kind of a mentor of mine from a long time ago. And she was like, well, I thought you were over that. And that's the sort of influence of like, oh, just get over it. You know, you're you're going on ahead in life. You can muscle through. You can build the success. And, and real therapy, it contradicts all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's showing that life isn't, you know, just one linear line up. And so I think to, for me, it was a very conscious choice to not listen to that person Mm -hmm. because she had offered me a lot of perspective in my life when I needed her. Sometimes these negative people can be good and bad. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, and there have been people I've had to just walk away from mm-hmm. that I still love. Yes. That I care about. But it's it's unhealthy to have them in my life. And there are many, many years I couldn't do that because I didn't love myself enough. I didn't trust myself enough. I was scared of being alone. Um, and that... I, I, I no, again, sometimes you fix something or you learn something about yourself and you want to, like, every, like someone who takes an improv class wants to tell everybody about improv, you know? So it's like, you know, I, I, uh, and again, it's a, maybe it's a shadow. It's like, oh, I was, that happened to me and I don't want it to happen to other people. But I, I see people that won't, won't or don't go get help because they're afraid of what other people would think or, mm-hmm. and then that impacts how they, what, tools they give their kids and their spouses mm-hmm. and their friends and advice and it just keeps just like the the teacher in your school that was acting like it was a waste yeah maybe their mom or dad told that to them and their friends say exactly. that exactly you know so it just keeps getting perpetuated yeah the, those systems um that people find themselves caught in i had a professor in graduate school who repeatedly say basically in every class we were in was like, trust your gut, trust your instincts. And I think that's a huge part of the process of, you know, walking away from um, from these ideas that people give you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that like you can trust what is ahead of you. You can trust what's deep down inside of you. And therapy helps bring out what your gut thoughts is yes or yes. are <laughs> exactly yeah learning to see that truth speak it acknowledge mm-hmm. it and that you're worthy of it of it right you 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 know that's that's because like so much of society tells you that that's not true right whether whether whatever you are 
And, you know, and it's harder for some people given their life circumstances and, and where they are than others. Um, but everybody's, a lot of people have that, you know, have that thing holding them back. Um, okay. This is, this is exactly, so I, I didn't have a script either, but this is kind of, this is the conversation I wanted to have. And um, so you mentioned psychology today, you mentioned reaching out to graduate schools. Um, are there other, any other tools or resources or books or things you'd recommend to people? That's a really good question. I think it depends on who you are. Um, for me, one of the most pivotal books in my own growth isn't a counseling book, but it, I think it is. Um, it's um, Letters to a Young Poet um, by Reiner Maria Rilke. Okay. Uh, he's a German poet, and basically he wrote letters of encouragement to this uh, young poet who uh, was trying to find his identity in his work. And he talks a lot about going into yourself and finding solitude in yourself, like not being alone, but finding solitude in yourself and going into the inner uh, depths of your soul. And um, I found it really critical for me growing as a person and listening to my own voice and finding my own sense of agency, um, finding trust in myself to start to listen to my inner voice. Okay. And so Reiner Maria Rilke um, was huge in that. But also, I'm a writer type and a poet type. So that spoke to me. Uh-huh. Um, so it might not speak <laughs> to everybody. Yeah. Um, but I kind of, with students, if I kind of sense a creative, weird person in there, I'll I'll start quoting <laughs> <Perfect>. Rilke <laughs> to them. <laughs> it's funny you mention that because like, I'm, I'm in the, I'm about a fourth of the way through book by it's a summary of it's a collection of letters also mm-hmm. written by one person to a younger person mm-hmm. but it's Seneca the mm-hmm. the Roman stoic philosopher okay and same thing he's right and he even says you know he's given this guy advice at one point about all different things in life but one of them is about I don't I don't remember what it specifically was about but he's like he meant he re, he acknowledges that he goes I'm not writing this to you from someone who basically knows it all and has done it all mm-hmm. I'm also, he describes himself as like being a patient in bed as well with the same struggles and same things. And it's like he's acknowledging the things that he aspires to as much as what he's trying to teach. Mm-hmm. So same, you might enjoy those. And it's fun because it was written 2,000 years yeah. ago, but it sounds so so modern in terms of the things he's talking about. Oh, yeah. I love it. The human it condition. Happens. Yeah. yeah, that's like human condition is that these truths get carried down and it sounds so modern and revelatory but it's like that's there's nothing new under the sun (laughs) yeah yeah we're all worried about you know growing old and dying in fear and what people Mm -hmm. think about it and fear of someone hurting us or whatever Mm -hmm. and he writes about he writes about body people spending too much time basically bodybuilding he didn't use that word but like romans that were spending too much time worrying about their muscles and and not their mind yeah yeah Two thousand yeah. years ago, another um, book that I'd recommend that's a little bit more modern is um, "The Gift of Therapy" by Irving Yalom, and I think it's a good book for therapists and people who want to be in therapy alike 
to kind of see what therapy is and what it should be mm -hmm. and like that it's more than a diagnosis or an insurance claim um, or a 12-step program. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it kind of delves into like the relationship um, between client and therapist. Awesome. And so I think that's like if you're you still have more questions about therapy, it has a lot of different snippets of just kind of insight. And Irvin Yalom, he's an existential therapist, which is my groove. Um, he just has a lot of really powerful, good insights. So, awesome. Okay. Yeah. So we got that. Um, I mentioned Ken Wilber, and I really love his work. Mm -hmm. um, Untethered Soul. If you're, if that, that's a really good one. And it's not about therapy, but he does talk about sort of like that higher consciousness and awareness and uh, observing the self as well as um, the power of now by mm -hmm. Eckhart Tolle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, Eckhart, the whole, yeah. The whole pain body concept. It's just, those, 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 those you know, Wilbur, uh, I forget the author, of, I think it's Singer, the author of Untethered Soul, and then Eckhart Tolle were three peop three three voices that really really carried me through a lot of mm -hmm. healing. Yeah, another one that is very popular today, Brene Brown, um, specifically the gifts of imperfection. Ah, okay. Uh, because we live in a society where everybody is a, a perfectionist, and learning how to embrace your imperfections is like part of like being human. Yes, and connecting being vulnerable and connecting to other people. I think that's a big work. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, and it's another improv connections. There are there are no mistakes. Right. You know, if you mispronounce, I had a scene once where I mis mispronounced a word and the audience, the audience don't even think noticed it, but my team certainly did. And that just became the way you said that word the rest of the show. <laughs> and it just became more and more stupid that everyone said it that way. But we all just played with that. And it was it, something that was a mistake turned into something really fun. And sometimes bad things, mm -hmm. you know. So yeah, uh, the imperfections and, you know, embracing that because we, you know, we learn and, uh, that that can be where the fun fun of life is. One of my funniest things with improv is, is that I always use the wrong vocab in scenes. Like because if I'm writing something out, I can edit myself. <laughs> yeah. And then in scenes, I'll just suddenly use the wrong word, and people think it's hysterical. <laughs> and then my scene partners would even build on it. Right. Right. And it's like my mistake becomes like it's a, a gift. funny gift. Yes. Yes. And yeah, if we look at our life that way, like what's good about this? Tony Robbins talks about that in one of his books. Like when something bad happens, he's like, what's good about this? And he goes, if your brain's like nothing, then he's like, what could be good about this? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, well, maybe uh, losing this job allows me to like find another job and I didn't like it that much anyway. And and blah, 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 blah. And like give yourself reasons to to like, well, what what is good about this gift? You know, what is funny about this or what is, you know. Um, awesome. So Janelle, if like someone wanted to reach out to you personally to like, you know, do a do a session or mm -hmm. to talk, how how would they find you? Well, okay. So I'll be working at Avenues Counseling, which okay. is a group practice. But yeah, reaching out to me directly by email, I'm very good at okay. responding to emails. You talked in the beginning, like there's different areas you work in. Like right now, is there something specific or right? Um, depression, um, anxiety. Um, complex PTSD mm -hmm. and PTSD itself, um, grief, um, 
kind of adjustments, transitions in life. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my special things that I'm interested in providing therapy for is spiritual abuse. Spiritual abuse. And and every one of those things is something like, I think you covered like something like 99% of the population could (laughs) deal with in some way, right? (laughs) Grief, anxiety, transitions, PTSD, uh, spiritual abuse. Yeah, yeah. But adults and kids. Yeah, adults, teens, kids. I I do them all, so. Fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, I, I love... I love working with all age groups because the attachment issues that happen with kids when they're younger really uh, references to what's happening with adults when they're older. So to kind of see the perception of it, like the illustration of it happening in in childhood and then providing an emotionally safe, you know, powerful attachment for those kids— that can speak into the therapy I'm doing with the adults who still are looking for that inner child. Wow. Okay, that's so cool. Yeah, getting to work with people at different stages uh, gives you more tools to work with for all those people. Yes. Wow, that's awesome. This is beautiful. I think. Thank you so much. Um, this is exactly what I what hoped it would be, and I hope <laughs> I hope um, for everybody listening. I hope that this was helpful for you. I hope that if you at all are dealing with any of those kind of issues and want some help or just are trying to like be your best self and 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 learn more about who you are uh, on your path, that you'll you'll add this to uh, your toolbox as a means of growth and self-discovery uh, for yourself. So that's a wrap on episode eight. I learned a ton and I had fun as well. So I hope you did too. I hope you found it helpful. Um, if you did, uh, please share it. Maybe it's helpful for someone else that you that you know. Um, don't forget that you can find all my information on carloblog.com. You can sign up for my newsletter, find information about the book, reviews about the book, um, hopefully an ever-growing um, collection of videos, video content, and of course, find all the places you would normally find someone to sign up or follow on social media. You're not signing up for social media, just following. Um, But anyway, in the meantime, please take good care of yourself, be kind, and until next time, enjoy your journey. 